For me, when I try to think about what makes being a parent hard, this is the center of what that thing is. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Right, you're trying to hold both thoughts in your head at the same time, right? Isn't this dumb and isn't this important? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. We're outside observing what we're doing while we're doing it. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. It's called Symbolic Self-Completion Theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Amy. This is Margaret. And I have to say before we even begin that Amy and I are having um, mom mornings this morning. I uh, am sitting here with some lice treatment going on on my head. I have some conditioner soaking, soaking the lice away. It looks like I'm I'm looking at Margaret right now and it is sort of, you know, she, she has a very sleek, it's a very um, Robert Palmer addicted to yeah. love. It's the wet alert. look. Yeah. It's the wet look, which I like to call the lice look in my house. Uh, we are having a lot of trouble getting rid of lice at our house. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole with it because I know people are just going to get itchy and annoyed, but it's been a long month. That's all I'm going to say. And then we were having some technical issues setting up because we could not figure out why we were not able to use our Wi-Fi, and then Amy discovered the reason uh, yes, why. Yes, uh, the reason why was that was that my 15-year-old was in the same room downloading uh, updates to the Xbox, which of course had to happen right, right, right then, despite the post-it note on the door saying, don't come in, mom recording. Well, unless it's an emergency. Unless you have to download updates. Before I ever had kids, I was staying with a friend. I, I had rented a room from a friend, and his boyfriend had kids, and they were over, and the kids, they went out to the gym in the morning at like six o'clock in the morning. And I don't know how, the kids were probably like seven and nine. So they were kind of leaving them alone, but they knew I was home. But their instructions to the kids were, don't wake up, Meg, unless it's an emergency. And of course, five minutes after they left, it was like, knock, 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 bright and, sh- bright and early, rise and shine. And this was like when I was single. I had been up until I'm sure two o'clock in the morning drinking heavily. And I got up and I was like, what is it? And of course, the question was, can we have pretzels for breakfast? <laughs> that was the Emergency. Thing. No, it was an emergency. So anyway, that's how we're going. But now we're just going to start our episode. We're going to start fresh. Now you know where we're at. And we're, yeah. going, to, we're going to address- That's where we are mentally, guys. This, this topic. I'm excited about today's topic, how not to live through our kids. Yeah. This is a good one. It's complicated. I mean, I, I, I'm taking it as a sort of given that we are not supposed to because I feel like as mothers, we're- completely mocked relentlessly for doing so. Like first we're supposed to do so. We're supposed to set aside all our own hopes and dreams because you can't be selfish. Then like, oh, look at you, soccer mom, way too over-invested or, you know, dance mom, that kind of thing. I feel like it's all, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is helping our kids do what they love. But then look how stupid you are, you know, investing in caring about their activities well, I have a as perfect much as example do. of this. My son is graduating from the fourth grade, which is a thing, apparently. These days. These our days, like every school. grade is a thing now, right? Well, and our elementary school ends at fourth grade, which is fairly unusual. So they do actually, they're leaving their elementary school. So it is kind of a graduation. And so I, through some comical force of the universe, ended up on the decorating committee, which if you know me is really not the spot for me. You're I, not I'm a not, Pinteresty DIYE. I'm looking and right so, now at Margaret. Wait a minute. I wish I, I'm going to take a screenshot of this. I'm going to put no, this on the show I, page. I don't know. The, I'm not, you're not allowed to put a screenshot of me with my live treatment on the show page. But what I'm really looking at is the wall behind you, which is primed to be painted. Oh, yeah. But not I'll painted. take a picture of that. <laughs> it, it, that's been that way All right, for about 65 that years. So just looking um, at you being like, I'm not the like into decorating, like that. Yeah, and like my pockmarked walls, which I half-heartedly painted a year and a half ago. Correct. And I'm on the decorating committee. But I went, listen, all the moms are like excited that their kids are graduating. They're trying to make it nice. Then we go, and there's like nine women or something there meeting on the decorating committee. And the conversation keeps being like, well, it's a luau theme. And the conversation is just vacillating between, well, should we put four palm trees up or five palm trees up in the gym? And then someone would always kind of add the commentary, it's just a fourth grade graduation. And I feel like it sums up the whole the whole issue that we're talking about, which is on the one hand, there are 10 of us there decorating for the children's fourth grade graduation, which is insane. But we do kind of want to make it nice. It is kind of a special occasion. But at the same time, we're kind of plagued by the idea that this is all incredibly stupid and maybe we shouldn't be there in the first place. Right. You're trying to hold both thoughts in your head at the same time, right? Isn't this dumb and isn't this important? Um, And you're toggling back and forth each second. I was just saying this on a totally 
different topic, but I feel like as a culture, we have reached peak irony. Like it started, I remember when the movie Shrek came out and Shrek was kind of like a nod to children's movies while being a children's movie. You know, it had a kind of a lot of meta inside jokes about like Disney and I don't know, it was somehow like a parody of the movie studio system that produces children's movies, yet it was a children's movie. And it was like Scream was, uh, Scream might be an old deluxe alert, I realize. Back in my day. Yeah. But Scream was a movie that came out a couple of years ago, but it was like a send up of horror movies while still being a horror movie. But now I feel like everything is kind of, that way. Like you gotta, we're outside observing what we're doing while we're doing it. You can't just do the thing. And I think that raising children is just another example of that. Like we are analyzing the way we raise children as we do it and constantly arriving at the decision that we were doing it incorrectly. Yeah. No, you're right. Which is why we have this podcast. It's exhausting people. It's (laughs) exhausting. And also I have lice. I mean, listen, I might just have to Take a month off. So, so can I take this? Can we take this back to the beginning? You need to analyze some stuff for me, Amy. I I did I did a, a deep dive into the psychology around this because I thought I like, like okay I, I like that you I did. guess we live through our kids. Uh, why does this happen? So, I'm here to tell you that psychologists have a history of suggesting this that parents transfer their own unfulfilled ambitions onto their kids. Sigmund Freud said that many parents feel. And when I say parents, they were saying mothers, right? Like everybody, all the bad Let's stuff was done clear. by mothers. The parent, the dads are not sitting around. Right, the dad is, is with his pipe and slippers in, in these scenarios that are being played out. So Freud said that many parents feel that the child shall fulfill those wishful dreams which they never carried out. And Jung said that parents desire their child to compensate for everything left unfulfilled in their own lives. And so they never tested this or anything. I did find a, a recent study. We'll talk about it later. But they, they never tested that. They just, they just took this as, Gospel. you know, they're in there. Exactly. I think Freud said a lot of things. Or like, this is, this is true because I thought of it and it's a thing. And my name is Freud. Yeah. You know, and I, I want to talk a little bit too about why this is a, I, I've always been sort of offended by the idea that this is a, a mom problem. And specifically. Although when you think about the kind of stereotypes around this, I think it's, also, it very clearly plays out with the dads, right? Like, like Tiger Woods' dad. The dad who wanted to be the football star, yeah. and then the kid is going to, like, get that football crazy glued in his hand when he's two, and if he's not a football star, he lets, dashes his dad's hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, you're right. There, the, the, in sports, it is the sort of dad who doesn't, and then I guess I'm thinking more of, because, uh, of course, I have my own acting things, and I, I, I was a dancer, I was an actress, I am an actress, but my daughter is now a dancer and an actor, and so I'm thinking... You're thinking, sing out, Louise, make sing, mommy yes. proud, I'm thinking avenge of me. Out, avenge I'm thinking me. of sing out, Louise, yes. Well, this my example of this is I have a son who's very jokey, and he's a jokester, he's totally class clown, he's a middle child, he's like a classic middle kid who's like constantly like falling down in a funny way to try to get attention, and let me tell you, it's hilarious. It works. We all think he's so funny. And he'll be like, I'm bad at math. And I'm like, honey, you don't need math. You're going to be a stand-up comic and mommy is going to be your manager and it's all going to work out fine. <laughs> so I don't know. I might be living through my it, kids. It could possible. happen. It could happen. So, all right. So I, so I found something really interesting. Unfulfilled ambitions. There's a psychologist named Eddie Brummelman. So Eddie says that we all have these unfulfilled ambitions, obviously, and they're, they're regrets, and it's part of what we do to reframe those unfulfilled ambitions to make them less painful. This isn't just parents. This is like literally everybody does that. Every human. I wanted to be a, a baseball player when I grew up. I wanted to pitch for the Yankees. I don't pitch for the Yankees, but I'm an insane Yankees fan. That there are things you start to do. It's called symbolic self-completion theory. Like you find a way. Oh, Eddie. You find symbols for yourself that allow yourself to feel completed. Like I might not be Serena Williams, but I won my club's tennis championship, you know, over 40. Or Symbolic I'm self huge, Yeah. So it explains like sports fandom, which of course I don't understand, but I never really wanted to be a, a professional athlete. It um, explains it because when your team wins, it's like you're the winner? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's like it's, a, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol. And of course... We as parents have a particularly potent symbol of ourselves and our kids. Oh, yeah. And so we can reframe our unfulfilled ambitions 
by looking at our kids as symbols for our own success. Agree. And you know what's interesting? Like, I keep going back to showbiz examples, but I know a lot of two-actor couples, Mm -hmm. and it gets really stressful. I mean, showbiz is weird, right? And and sometimes somebody gets really famous really fast. It happens. Right. Or gets a huge break. And it's really weird to be the other person in that couple when it's a two-actor family. I was always glad that I wasn't married to an actor because he could just be happy for me when I got a part. Right, But when you're two actors and one person suddenly it's like shoots and ladders and all of a sudden it's like, yes. you just got cast on a network show. Um, I always call it Plinko. It's like you just catch a bad bounce and you're out or you catch a good bounce and you're like winning an Oscar. <laughs> it's, it's so when people, and then the people who catch the good bounce always think they're there on merit, which always makes me laugh. Like the people who catch the big ba- bounce are like, this was my destiny. And I'm like, dude, what? It was also the destiny of the person who's now like waiting tables at Shrimp Shack. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like whenever I read like Gwyneth Paltrow or somebody saying like, I always knew that I was going to be a famous actor. It's like, I always knew I was going to be a famous actor. Right. Right. Happen. Except for it didn't happen. <laughs> except for there's only one difference between us. Right. 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 So you didn't, you didn't manifest it. Like, wait, I really tried to manifest it. It just, uh, it just didn't happen. Right. I had similar six-year-old, you know, thoughts. It's really hard when you're in a sort of, you know, relationship, an emotional relationship with somebody who's doing the same thing that you really want to do, um, a self-relevant domain, it's hard to deal with that. But when it's your kid, it's really okay. Because it's you. It's just a it's little really bit of you. you. It's exactly. really you. Yeah, exactly. that's interesting. So that makes sense. So even, so even if like I always wanted to be a ballet dancer and then I just was really, really wasn't good enough and now my daughter is going to major in dance in college or something that, that that I can I don't feel jealous of that I feel really fulfilled by that because it's actually kind of me doing it. I, I think it's still a very complicated relationship. Like yes, you're happy for them, but there's still like a little weird. It's not quite you at the same time, right? Well, this is yeah, this is totally like dark there's side. Eighty six levels of emotional nuttiness in this whole thing. Yeah, we'll get to those because that's the that's the fun <laughs> part. All eighty six levels of emotional nuttiness we will cover <laughs> in this podcast. So this this uh, this this same uh, psychologist, Dr. Brummelman, he explained I, I could kind of accept this. Okay, so so you're thrilled when your kid makes travel soccer because it's actually a little bit about you, right? And he says that mothers incorporate their children into themselves more than fathers do. Like we're like nursing the baby, like you are me and I am you. That mothers do that even more than fathers do. But isn't the dad more excited when the kid makes travel soccer than I keep, the mom? Yeah, yeah. I but, feel like the dad, I don't care if my kid makes travel soccer. This guy's trying to argue that he calls it ambition transference. Mm-hmm. And well, he says yeah. that mothers maybe are more likely to do that because mothers are more wrapped up in their kids than than dads are as a complete generalization. That's his argument. Yeah. Although, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm down with that point, but okay. All right. It probably depends on the gender of the kid and the type of And the thing that you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Like, I think if it's going, we keep and harking back to like, but even, even sometimes college and that kind of success, I feel like I see the dads much more like, you must achieve. And the mom's like, oh, give me a break. I don't know. What was your own experience like with this? Were you pushed to do certain things by your parents? I think that my experience with it was that my parents were kind of upwardly mobile and that the expectation was that we would be upwardly mobile. And so meaning like, you know, my dad's dad started with a diner and then, you know, ended up running a successful hotel and being successful. But then my dad went to law school and became, you know, a successful attorney and, then it was like we were, there was definitely an expectation that we would continue that trajectory. And so when I announced as a senior in high school that I planned to attend clown college, it didn't go over that well. That was not. Stop, stop everything. You thought you were going to go to clown college? I auditioned for Ringling Brothers Clown College. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And how'd it go? I mean... I think I had some more philosophical problems with the Ringling Brothers organization. And so I was a little bit like, I'm not sure this actually looks like that fun of life, but I basically like an actor's life for me, kind of like, and not even like, I want to like put on nice makeup and be on a soap opera. Like I want to like live in a van and go put on funny shows. Like that was not 
necessarily a fulfillment of my parents' dream for me. One of my friends from college, he did clown college and went through the whole thing and then sort of like a month into being a clown for Ringling Brothers was said like, yeah, no thanks, and he quit. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that a little it. bit. I think I saw that a little bit beforehand, but I mean, I went to like a Catholic high school and they list where everybody's going to college in like the graduation program kind of thing. And I just think the idea that my mom was going to sit there while we were all like, graduating and it was going to be like Dartmouth University, Yale University. And then it was going to be like clown college. I mean, that, that was not a happy <laughs> dot, dot, for dot, parents clown college. <laughs> no. And so for sure, uh, and this is a little bit more, I think I, a lot of my friends, it's kind of like the immigrant experience, right? Like people come over to make a better life, but then your job as the kid, and this is, I'm, I'm speaking, I am generations removed from this. I'm no longer speaking for myself. People come over, they give up, you know, lives in a home country to come and like wait tables and be, you know, start lives at the bottom so that their kids have a chance to succeed. They, they don't really want their kids, you know, being like, for me, it's interpretive dance. Like, they, <laughs> you know, become a doctor or a lawyer, like fulfill the destiny that we gave up everything to create for you. Right. Make, make it worth what I went through. That yeah. I totally get. Well, what and if- so I was like a very low level version of kind of that, like, there was definitely an expectation that we would like go to four-year colleges and become kind of traditional people. And it's funny that you said that you think that one of your sons is going to be a comedian. I mean, yeah, I'm like going the opposite way. Like he'll probably be Alex P. Keaton and be like, no, I want to become right. an accountant because I want, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think it would be really funny. I just think he's so funny. I would love to see him do something with it, but I don't know. He's also seven. Like, I don't actually take this seriously. But yeah, it is, of course, you have expectations for your kids. Of course you do. And of course, my parents had expectations for me. And I also came from a family where, like, my brother went to a really good school, became a lawyer. Like, he checked all the boxes. My sister did excellently in school. Um, Although also then kind of became an artist. Like, I think it was, it, it was, my parents would have, I feel like my parents' dream for us was the straight and easy path. And that that doesn't seem exciting to a kid, but it's hard for a parent to say like, wait, we gave you everything to like, I, I realized like my parents did everything to like set us on like the super highway of life. And we were like, ooh, but these dark alleys kind of look interesting. <laughs> or like, I mean, hardly dark alleys, like these like slight off-roads, you know? It was the same thing for me because I wanted to be, I wanted to be an actress and I just was one of those kids. I always say that it was like every little kid wants to pitch the Yankees or be an astronaut or a firefighter or whatever, right? I wanted to be an actress and I just sort of never changed my mind. I never, never strayed from that. And I think my parents were like, whatever, you know, my daughter, my 10 year old daughter now wants to be a ballerina. And I just sort of say, oh yeah, you know, wouldn't that be nice if you were a ballerina? And I, and I neither hinder nor lean into that because one, it's not something that's important to me. Two, I certainly don't want her to think it's something that she needs to do, but let her have the dream. But I just never swayed from it. And I will say my parents never, they didn't drive me into the city for auditions or anything, but I have no regrets about that. And they also never told me I couldn't do it. I think they just sort of waited for me to come to a conclusion that there were <laughs> they were more, more financially secure things I could do with my life. Yeah. And I do think that our generation is kind of flipping around. Like I saw a meme about it and I was trying to find it, but I can't find it. That was like, if you don't have a job that you had a costume of, like a kid has a costume of, you know, it was kind of the idea that like you're missing out. Like those are the dream jobs. Like everyone wants to be a policeman, a fireman, a ballerina, an astronaut. And that like, no one wants to be an accountant, but that's a very odd and warped way to look at the world too. Like, I think that our parents' generation kind of wanted my generation to be straight and narrow jobs. Now I feel like our generation is like, my kid's going to be a famous YouTuber or I don't know, like <laughs> we have these ambitions, like every kid is wearing like an ironic rock and roll t-shirt. And I was saying to somebody, all my friends and my kids do it too, all have little bands like rock. We, we do this in garage band. I've talked about it. Like the kids come out and play garage band. And I was just chatting with a friend of mine the other day, who's a drummer and his dad was in the military and like, he became, you know, like a drummer. And I said to him, remember the days when being in a band was a rebellious act against your parent? Like nowadays it's like the parent puts the band together for you. <laughs> like, yeah. I do think we're, we're the, the way 
everyone who's like, oh, I don't live through my kids because I let them be whatever they want to be. But those kids becoming an accountant is going to be like, wah, wah. I thought they were going to be like on America's Got Talent or be a comedian and I was going to manage their career. I also think the problem, the difference between the way we were raised and the way we are raising our kids, the world that they're in, is that we could sort of choose our lane. Like I was... I was the smart kid, but I was also in the plays, and that's what I did. I didn't also have to play field hockey. I didn't also have to do some incredible service project by the time I graduated. Um, And I took ballet, and I was like, I took ballet because I liked ballet. I wasn't trying to get into some prestigious summer program. And I just feel like in our day, kids were (laughs) good at school, or they were good at sports, or like you kind of like picked your lane and it was fine. And now you have to pick one from columns A, B, and C in order to be a properly rounded kid. You have to do well in school and play a sport and have a, uh, you know, play an instrument. There's a bonkers expectation. Like we used to watch the Olympics as kids and it's like, that's a different world. Like, I don't know, being in a band, all these things, it was, it was a different world from the world we lived in. And now I do feel like there's an expectation of like the phrase, you can be anything you want to be. is like literal, like you can, there is a chance that every kid is going to be an Olympic gymnast. So it suddenly starts to seem reasonable that people in my town are sending their kids to gymnastics practice six days a week when they're four, because somehow everyone is going to be an Olympic. I don't know. It just seems like that is a new world order. And it's something that it's a marketing thing. Like people are keeping all these gyms and robotics classes and Mandarin camps and all of these things in business. But I'm not sure that the idea that like every kid is going to be a hyper high achiever in every, in any discipline is that realistic. And I think we should break. And I have something else I want to say about that when we come back. We'll be right back. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those Bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have Bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no toe seam. <laughs> and there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, Amy. That's an assignment for <laughs> okay. you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say. Fun and highly intense, but Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Hell podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 30, 30. You will get free full access to the entire Beachbody On Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting LAUGHING to 30, 30, 30. Check it out. And now, expectations we have for our kids versus how it actually goes. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Expectation. My child will have wonderful manners and will be a model citizen. How it actually goes. Oh my God, that guy you almost pushed over on your way to the snack bar is like 90 years old. Expectation. My kid has amazingly athletic genes. How it actually goes. My child just injured himself trying to take his tennis racket out of the car. Expectation. 
I will let my children learn at their own pace. How it actually goes. If Sally has four apples and Jenny has four pears, then together they have. Okay, wait a minute. Together they have. Let me see. It's eight. Eight. Four plus four is eight. Come on, we need to get to gymnastics. Expectations. Behold the chore list. How it actually goes. Please just go to school so I can clean this house without anybody getting in the way. Expectation. I. Will enjoy every minute because I know how quickly it will go. How it actually goes. I am not enjoying this recorder recital at all. Like no part of me is even slightly enjoying this. Yes, we get it. It's hot cross buns. For the love of God, move on already. Expectation. Only educational programming at this house. How it actually goes. What are you watching on YouTube? Wait, does that guy even have pants on? <laughs> So Margaret, a mom's got to clean. I mean, I hear that. That that's the word on the street. I guess you're right. I mean, I guess and eventually some control officers come if you never clean. sooner or later. And when it's time to clean, you want stuff that gets the job done, and Correct. it maybe also shouldn't look horrible on your countertop, like you know the ones that say like kablooey kablam, and they're like in purple and have fireworks and stuff. I don't really want that on my countertop. I am going to cut to the chase, Amy, because I know you're talking about our sponsor today, Trinova. I have a theory that I've gone with my whole life, which is that I am one good pen away from writing the great American novel. Like, I'm always like, if I could just get the right pen. And I felt this way about Trinova cleaning products. I was like, these are the cleaning products I've been waiting for. They are the cleaning products that are going to make me want to clean. They didn't totally make me want to clean, but they're gorgeous looking. Yeah, if you have to hold the shower door cleaner in your hand, it should be lovely to look at, right? They sent us a bunch of stuff to try. I tried the shower door cleaner and it was, it's sort of specifically designed for that specific job with the soap scum that you just can't get out of the corners and it really worked. My kids were out of town on their summer getaways and... I like to do a major clean when they're away and these cleaning products arrived right before that moment. And let me tell you, I was like in cleaning product heaven. My entire house is like butcher block central. Like my desk, my countertops as far as I can see in butcher block. Guess what Trinova makes? Butcher block cleaner? I don't. I think it might be called like butcher block spiffier or something. Like it's like something about the butcher block. But let me tell you, I used it and my butcher block is gorgeous. Guess what specific product they make that I used? The shoe deodorizer. There couldn't be more of a strike zone product for our audience than the shoe deodorizer. The shoe deodorizer. So so Trinova is- I like how we can't say deodorizer either. It's a problem. Trinova shoe deodorizer. I have one more. Giant windows. I have a couple really big windows. I live in like a modern-y kind of house. And uh, window cleaner. The only problem is it gets the windows a little too clean. So I had to put um, art projects up on the windows because otherwise people walk into our windows and then we get sued. <laughs> Not just birds, people walk into your into your Trinova cleaned glass windows. I have had two different people walk into it so far. So now it has so, a big ugly kids art project on it. Trinova colon cleans too well. <laughs> it's- yeah. That's their new motto. We think you should check out Trinova. There's two ways you can try them. If you're an Amazon person, you just search Trinova on Amazon and at checkout, you use the code FRESHHELL and you get 20% off. Or you can go to our special page. We have a special page. You're going to go to gotrinova.com forward slash fresh and use the code FRESHHELL. So you got to go to gotrinova.com forward slash fresh, then use the code Fresh hell. Listen, it's a little complicated, but you can do it for 20% off. Go for it, people. Trinova, maybe too clean. (laughs) Maybe too clean. (laughs) Okay, we're back. This whole topic plays into something that I like to highlight, which is the turn in the last hundred years in the entire reason that people have children. And this topic highlights it more than anything else. hundred years ago, my grandmother was one of 13 kids, partially because there wasn't a lot known about how not to have children, but partially because there was an expectation that many children would not survive past the age of five. And partly because traditionally children were produced to help with the agriculture and business of foraging for and producing food for the family. It's just good to keep that in mind because nowadays it's so bonkersly different that it's good to just have 
an eye towards how much that has changed. <laughs> it's bonkersly different. It really is. When you think about like, I- I'm thrilled that we understand so many more things, that we keep kids safer, that we value kids' safety in different ways, that we value kids' differences in different ways. You know, I have a kid who struggles uh, with academics and social stuff. And I do think to myself a lot, like, wow, a hundred kids years ago, this kid would not have had a shot, you know, and now he's in a great academic setting and he's in a great social setting. And like, he's, the world is his oyster because he's, people understand like, oh, there's neurodiversity and people learn differently. That's great. What's maybe not so great is the idea that like every child is the sand in the oyster and is your job to turn them into a pearl. It's too yes. much pressure and it makes being alive not fun. Wendy Mogul wrote the book, The Blessing of a Skin Knee, and we talk about that a lot. And the idea of this episode came out of a um, sentence she has in chapter two of that book, Your Child is Not Your Masterpiece. I read that and I sort of was like, okay, I have to put the book down for a couple of minutes and just sort of let that Sink, sink in. in. Your child is not your masterpiece. They're not they're not here for you to shape. They're here. I mean, she she draws on a lot of sort of Jewish wisdom, Talmudic truths and but but basically like you're you're they were given to you. You're supposed to shepherd them to what God wants them to be in her point of view. But that isn't what you want them to be. And and she's, she actually argues you're undermining what God wants for your child when you ignore a child's intrinsic strengths in order to push them towards your own notion of extraordinary achievement. Yeah, and I would and even back that up another step and say, I try to live closer to the aesthetic that it's your job to keep them safe, fed, and alive while they find that for themselves. The shepherding. I, I try to do a little less shepherding. Do you know the book Leo the Late Bloomer? It's no. A, it's a kid's book. It's a great kid's book. I'll put a link up to it on the show page. It's one of those books that's like, it's really for you. As you're reading it to the kid, you're like, oh, this is actually a book for, for mom. It's about a, um, a lion named Leo. He's a late bloomer. He's like all the other animals know how to write their names and he just scribbles. Um, all the other animals know how to make their sounds and he just is sort of like, he doesn't, he can't roar. He's really uncoordinated. You know, he's just a cute little, and even the way he's drawn, like he's drawn sort of crudely and he just doesn't have his act together. And the the parents are in their, you know, lion's den at night and like the dad and the, the dad's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about, about Leo? And the mom says, don't, don't worry, don't worry. He's a late bloomer. It's fine. And it show, and I can see in my head right now that a picture of Leo's with his friends trying to catch up with them because he can't run as fast as them. And the father is like peeking through the, you know, out between two bushes. He's trying to leave him alone, but you can just see the father's eyes sort of like peeking. See, it's the father, not the mother. Yeah, and I did Freud. like that. Yes, thank you. And it says like every day Leo's father watched Leo for signs of blooming. And the whole book is about him being like, okay. And then guess what happens? Leo blooms. Leo knows how he to blooms. run, you know, gamble through the jungle with his friends and he can write his name and do everything. Leo knows how to gamble. That's inappropriate. <laughs> That's gamble, G-A-M-B-O-L, mm. people. What kind of crazy book are you recommending to us? I want to drop some wisdom right now, Amy. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I worked, this is the thing that I think I struggle with the most. And I worked with someone once at a, just some dopey like temp job that I had basically not even a job I cared about. And I work with this guy uh, who was just kind of a funny character with a very funny view of life or unique view of life. I remember we were handing in some documents that we had put together to like the big, you know, the big cheese. And the big cheese guy was like, you did an excellent job on these documents. Well done. And I left and my coworker, I remember, was kind of like very neutral about it. I was like, oh, we did a great job. We did good for us, you know? And he said, you know, if you take their praise, you got to take their criticism too. And Mm. I don't take anything from people. And I remember like scales fell from my eyes. And I think about that all the time because I have three kids and I have one kid. I don't even want to say, I don't even want to list the categories of my specific kids, but my kids are very, very good at some things and get a lot of praise for the things that they do extremely well. But I 
every one of my kids struggles in certain ways. And that phrase comes back to me all the time because people are occasionally like, oh, this one is such an amazing advanced reader. And I'm like, yes, this is my lifeblood. Like I'm feeding off of this, like a plant off of drops of water. Like the sun is turning me, my chlorophyll green. Like this, I love that praise so much. But that phrase comes back to me all the time because also I have kids who struggle with other things and I get very resentful of like, well, they're just as good at things and you don't know. And I think separating yourself, it is impossible to do, but trying to separate yourself from the idea that like, there is a role of societal thing. Like it always strikes me we're in Texas where if I'm, um, my kid steps out of line in Texas, uh, usually an older person, but someone in Texas will often be like, mind your mother there, young man. Like there's a role that society plays in saying like, these are our common values and this is how we want to behave. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, your kid is great. That kind of praise is very, it's heroin-like to me. Sure, I mean, to any I parent. I love it to, to any, any parent. parent. But you have to be careful of the role that plays. And Facebook and social media and all of this stuff makes all that stuff harder for us. I am a big fake booker. Like, look at all of us, so happy. But I'm like, and one smile for this picture. You, It's so hard for us right now to avoid the trap of like, if everyone thinks my kids are perfect, I will be happy. You know what psychologists call that? What do they call it, Amy? They call it achievement by proxy distortion. I am a sufferer, Amy. <laughs> I'm a sufferer of achievement by proxy distortion. We, we all are. Like, we all love it, like, a little too much when your kid gets the solo and then the chorus concert or whatever. It's, it's, and I think it's okay, but you just have to be sort of aware you're having it. There's, there's a um, psychologist named Dr. Martina Cartwright, and she studied in particular beauty pageant kids and moms. Because, I mean, right. that's, we can... It's the absolute distillation of right. what we're talking Like, about. okay, you are way, they call it enmeshment, when you're just way over, over-invested, and you, you lose the sense that there's a difference between what your kid thinks and wants and what you think and want. You forget that they could even be different. So she, she studied them. They have achievement by proxy distortion pretty bad. And she says, like, so for all of us, it's when the gains of your children become your primary goals, which I guess that's happening like for a moment. That happens for these people all the time. When this distortion gets worse, they do things like risky sacrifice. Like, well, we we just mortgaged our house to buy new gowns for Little Miss Sunshine, South Texas. You know, like they, then they start to invest time and money they really don't have and let other things go by the wayside. Right. And it's easy. It's always easy to see that distortion in other people. Right. <laughs> like it's very, very easy to say like, look at those crazy distorters. But for me, when I try to think about what makes being a parent hard, this is the center of what that thing is, which is I want everyone to think that I am worthy and therefore everyone must think that my kids are worthy in very specific ways. And fighting against that internal story is what makes being a mom anxiety producing and hard for me. Absolutely. And in that way, that is the ultimate example of like living through my kids. Like being a mom for me brings up so much of like, that middle schooler with a tray feeling, you know, that like I was like an overweight seventh grader with acne who like really was like the bottom of the social totem pole in middle school. And just like uh, the cafeteria and knowing no one wanted to sit with me. And, and then I went to college and I met all these weirdos who loved me and we were fun and cool. And I, I was with my tribe and I forgot, I really forgot about that feeling for 20 years and then I had kids and I was like right back with my tray because suddenly everybody is back kind of in that mode of like watching you and judging you in a way that goes right to that like soft underbelly. Like when people were watching me and judging me when I was 30, I was like, that's right. I am a weirdo. Look at me. I don't care what you think. I'm a rebel, man. Like I, 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 I thrived on that. But then I became a mom again and sent these like vulnerable little people into the world. And now I get together with a group of moms who are like, who's your kid? And I'm like, uh, uh, like I, I just become again, like it's like someone's like just 
I'm I'm back with my tray. As if as if your kids are like you know art on the wall, right? Like which which landscape painting is yours, and and it's it's a it's a direct reflection on you, whatever your kid is doing, saying, being at that moment. Yeah, and whether or not, and I'm not talking about like mean moms who are being mean about it. I'm not, I'm just saying like thrust back into a hierarchy that I care about. That's what's interesting. Like, why do I care? I didn't care, but I do, I care a lot for my kids. And the idea that like, where's your kid going to school? Or which team did your, I, I think there's a, there's a part of me that wants to be like, dumb, who cares? But it, it keeps me up at night. So I sort of rescued myself. I sort of U-turned myself from a situation recently where I was definitely living through my kid and I sort of saved the situation at the last moment, but my kid had to sort of blow the whistle on me. Oh, tell me. Um, so school play. So I have three kids. My youngest, my 10-year-old is just, you know, awaiting instructions for when she can proceed directly to Broadway to begin her career. Like she's, you know, she right. is ready. Just waiting for a ticket. Right. But she's still young enough for the school play that they just are in the chorus. You know, she was like a plate in Beauty and the Beast and she was one of like 60 plates and silverware and like marching through they could hardly fit all the kids on stage she wanted to right. be in be our guest uh, which is as it should be i'm not i'm not taking her to auditions this is that's an appropriate outlet for a child her her older brother sings he sings in a chorus he's good like he's a really good singer sings all the time around the house he has zero interest in being in place he doesn't want to and he's explained to me that before. Like, I, don't, I like singing. I don't like singing by myself in front of people. I like singing in a group. Okay, fine. Okay. But then this play came around, and there was a part for him that was, like, he was perfect for the part. The song was perfect for his voice. They kind of didn't have somebody to play the part. And, you know, I, I leaned on him and leaned on him, like, just give it a chance. Because I knew if he just went in an audition, like, he's going to get this part. He's going to be terrific. And... You know, I printed out the, the sheet music for him. It was in the wrong key. I got the new key. I helped him work on it. You can do it. You can do it. And then, like, the morning of the audition, he comes downstairs like, I'm not doing it. And I was ready. For, I assumed that was going to happen. I'm like, no, sure. you're going to do it. It's going to be great. And then he tells me, like, he had been up in the middle of the night. Like, he had been awoken by, like, heart pounding that he was going to have to go in and audition. And he had to come downstairs in the middle of the night and calm himself down and then go back to bed, and I just don't want to do it, Mom. I can't. And, and I, it all just became so clear in that moment, like, I, I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing this for this kid. This kid, is t- he's told me a hundred times it. he doesn't want to do it. So he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And that was the right answer. That was at, I, and, and, and the only disappointment was my own. He had no problem with not being in that play. I had a problem with it because he should have done it, but it was totally tied up in, I would have loved to have... The play was really good, and I would have loved to be in plays like this. I never got to be in plays till I was in high school. So how can my seventh grader miss this incredible opportunity? He, it's not an opportunity he wants. And so I'm glad that he felt like he could explain to me just how much he didn't want to do it, because otherwise I think I would have continued to push. I had a really similar but lower stakes thing with my son takes violin lessons, and he's been loving them. And then at the end of the year, there was like a, you know, all the parents come and every kid plays a recital, I guess is what we call it, uh, a recital. And then he started really complaining about violin and didn't want to go. And I kept having that like, but you love violin, that like dopey mom conversation. And I finally figured out, oh, he doesn't want to do the recital. He's nervous about it. And I said, you don't have to just skip it. Just if go play your violin to play the violin. No, no one cares about the recital. You got to watch for all of those moments. And, and, and there's an argument to be made that there are things for which you say, we've committed to this and we want you to do it. And like there's kids who need to be pushed a little bit. Fine. It's, the answer is not always like, it's just about joyfulness. So don't worry about anything else. Like you got to find a balance. But when it's about like the presentation, I, I find that I sometimes struggle with that with my kids in general. Like my daughter just had a dance recital with her school and, you know, adorable outfits. And she did not wear makeup. If you listen to last episode, yep, no, makeup. Yep, no makeup. I was fighting against the makeup. I wish that her school offered a non-recital track. Like what she likes doing is going, hanging out with her friends and dancing around a little bit. What she doesn't care about at all is learning a routine and getting up and then being part of this like very elaborate recital. And so I feel like, guys, I'm going to give you a million dollar idea. Here's a business model children's activity school that is not results oriented that is just even for like 
kids in elementary school, older kids. I don't care about preparing for the meet. I don't care about getting them the best so that they can make the travel soccer team. An opportunity for kids to pursue something they like in a joyful way without there being anything. I have yet to find a class like that. I'm going to call it joyfulchildhood.com. I'm going to buy the URL today. Fabulous. Let's do it. All of our listeners can teach a class in their town and we're going to start a joyful childhood activities. You you know, you hit on sort of a, a, a side thing about this that's interesting. When you, we can't force our kids to mature quicker than they are going to mature. And when we try to, and when we lock down like say, you know, Tiger Woods' dad decided his son was going to be really good at golf. And guess what he was? But what what if? So, okay, Tiger Woods is a bad example. But some other dad is like, my kid's going to be a great golf player and, and, and making him play golf at a young age. Meanwhile, he would have been an incredible violinist. But you'll never know because you decided way too soon for your child what the path of your child's life was going to be. People who are going to be absolute elite in their fields... My youngest is six, and I can only tell you what she's not going to be. An elite (laughs) gymnastics instrumentalist. Like, she's too late already. She's six years old. Like, and, and, and I think some people, some people have kids who are exceptionally gifted at certain things and should foster that. Like, if, if you're raising an elite, athlete, violinist, whatever. That's not the people we're talking to here. Like yeah. we're, they're not, they're not listening to this podcast looking for perspective, but there is a huge range of people in the middle who are struggling with the idea of like, I want to be happier as a parent. And I think my need for my, the feeling that I am not doing right by my kid is a constant refrain in my head that I would like to get rid of. These are, those are the people we're trying to talk to. Right. Right. And realize that there are people, there are kids on, I was just at the kindergarten circus, you know, and there are kids on every range of ability in the kindergarten circus at my kids is like the little final performance and they all dress as animals. They juggle scarves and things. Uh They juggle scarves. Uh They do the whole thing. They, they, everybody gets a chance to like stand up and recite a poem. And there are kids in that school who are born for the stage, like sing out Louise, you know, and there are kids in this school who are nonverbal and do not participate (laughs) in the chants or songs at all. Like there is literally a huge spectrum and for Every single person on that curve, and I have kids at every end of that curve myself, not living through them is challenging in a very specific way, which is like not being like, my kids needs to sing out because she's the best in the circus is the best. And not being like, oh, my kid isn't even really part of this because they struggle so much with this kind of activity also really hard. And just realize that every single parent in that room is having some version of that conversation in their head. And so try to realize that where your kid at is at in their ability, you're just helping them to be the best they can be. Right. And and, and find joy and pride in, in that and not not, uh, you know, tether that to winning, not make pleasing you about them being extraordinary at whatever it is they're doing. Absolutely. And realize that like most moms are having that same conversation in their head. I'm having it in my head, you know? Yeah, that, that's and a good idea. That I think is the key about living through your kids becomes a little bit the thing of like, everybody's doing it better than me. Everybody's kid is doing better than mine. And realize that the flip side of that, which is like, my kid's the best. They're, my kid's actually doing better than everyone else. Look at me, tell everyone, you know, I will make sure that my kid is the best reader and wins the spelling bee and is on travel soccer and is the best lion in the kindergarten circus. Like the flip side of that story is my friend's advice. Like if you live on the constant hit of that praise, it makes you so much more vulnerable to the criticism. Yeah. And so that's a really good unplug point. from that as much as you can. And and I guess if I have one bit of advice, it's that you should be especially aware of pushing your kids in the same area where you once had ambitions for yourself. Like for me, this was this was my weak spot. I really wanted my kid to be in the play because it was about what I didn't get to do when I was that that age, and that's I I wouldn't have those same you know over interests in woodworking or tennis. I just wouldn't. But but something about being like what what do you mean you don't want to star in the school play? Everybody wants to star in the school play. No, they so don't. So you're saying I you should did. stop. I should stop taking my 7-year-old to Yucky's Comedy Shack every Friday <laughs> night and make him do open mic night. Yeah. Okay. I'm unless try, unless I have he a loves dream. It. I have a dream, a dream about you. 
if he if he became um, disinterested or injured, which hopefully wouldn't happen at an open mic, but, <laughs> he could get a bottle thrown at his um, head. That's would you be able to stop? Could you could you walk away if he said, "Mom, I don't want to do open sure. mics anymore"? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I can stop at any time. He's so funny. No, yeah, and I mean uh, that's the trick is like not feeding the beast. It's not easy, guys. Can I can I wrap this up with another? Please. I I. I want Wendy Mogul on this podcast. We're going to make it happen. Okay, make it happen. Her Hasidic wisdom is just like it's the best. This it is, works for you. So, okay, so this is this is a key concept. She says in in Jewish thought and Hasidic thought, you have two scraps of paper in your pockets, one on each side, and on one scrap of paper you write, "The world was created for me," and on the other little bit of paper you write, "I am a speck of dust." And you have to have both of those thoughts at the same time. And I think mm. you have to keep both of those thoughts in your head at the same time for your kids. My kid is the most incredible kid that has ever lived in the whole wide world. And my kid is just a regular kid. Keep them both. That is great. And it's e- exponentially easier to do that about yourself than your kid. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's great. We're closing up, we're closing up shop on that quote, yeah. Amy, because that was where it's at. Yeah. It's where it's at. All right, guys. So we know you're not living through your kids because, come on, you're not. But- we want to know your thoughts on this topic, and you can come talk to us at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. Today, we're just talking about Whataburgers on the What Fresh Hell podcast, which if you don't know about them, are the best burgers in the country. So just <laughs> you can come talk about Whataburgers or how not to live through your kid. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast and on Twitter at WFH podcast. I'm going to put up links to all this research that we talked and about you're today. And put up an ode to your friend Wendy. And ode to Wendy Mogul and Leo the Late Who's not actually your friend. No, 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 I wish. Your friend who you adore. I wish. Your mind friend, as we say. And I'm going to put all of that up on our website, which is whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Hey, listen, you guys, we have a favor to ask of you. It's not a favor, Amy. It's a demand. It's a demand. You can help our podcast grow if you like listening, by subscribing. You might be listening, but not actually subscribing. And let me tell you, if you're still listening at the credits here, you like our podcast, so go subscribe. Make sure you've subscribed. It's easy. If you do it If you do it on your laptop, you open up our podcast, bit.ly forward slash What Fresh Hell Podcast. That's an easy way to find us on iTunes. Then you click on show in iTunes. Then you click on subscribe. Or just go to your phone and click on your podcast app and search us and subscribe from there. That's that might also be even a easier. really easy way to do it. Guys, check us out on social media. Subscribe and keep listening. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.